when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, one of my favorite phrases in the world to say was, eh, what's the worst that could happen? I used to say that all the time. Anybody suggested anything and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? So somebody would suggest something incredibly stupid and I'd be the first one to say, come on guys, let's do it. What's the worst that could happen? So one day a buddy of mine said, let's go car surfing. I was like, what the heck is car surfing? We live in Texas. There's no surfing here. And he said, that's where you stand on the hood of a car and you see who can stay standing the longest as the car slowly accelerates down the road. And we got up to some pretty high speed. Now, I thought to myself, okay, I mean, this probably isn't the smartest idea in the world, but you know, what's the worst that could happen? We'll fall, we'll get scraped up a little, everybody will have a good time. And so we did it. Luckily, nobody was seriously injured. There was another time, a different one of my friends said, hey, there's a railroad bridge near our house. Let's go climb the truss, you know, like the big iron or steel, whatever it is, um, bridge supports that go up and over. Let's go climb on top of that and we'll sit there as a train goes underneath. It'll be awesome. And I was like, cool, what's the worst that could happen? Hold on tight, guys, we'll be fine. And so that's what we would do. I mean, a train was barreling through underneath us and our legs are like dangling over the side of this truss, just two or three or maybe four feet above the train. Like, I just felt like, eh, no matter what, like nothing too terrible is gonna happen. Nobody's gonna die doing any of this. And I look back now and I'm like, how could we have been so stupid? Seriously, I know I'm not the only teenager or young person that made those incredibly dumb decisions. Some of you guys are still making those dumb decisions, but we'll save that for another morning. I just, I can't wrap my brain around how many times God must have saved my life because of the dumb things that I did when I was a kid. As you get older, you have to face the reality of your own mortality, don't you? If one of my friends, if Joshua came up to me this week and said, dude, there's a train bridge in Calgary and I want to go sit on top of it while a train goes under it, I would have him committed. Like I would be so scared for him. I would think that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. There is no way I would ever do it. And the reason I wouldn't do it now is because I look at myself and I'm about to be 37 years old. And so that basically means I'm middle-aged and I'm like, wow, I've only got so many years left and I'm not really sure I want to risk whatever years I have left doing something that is so incredibly dumb. Okay. Now, if you've never had that experience where you've risked your life and then questioned, man, how did I even survive that? If you've never had the experience where you've wondered, man, when is my end point? When am I going to leave this life? And then what's going to happen when I make that transition? Then you're probably in the minority because nearly everybody on the planet has wondered, What's going to happen to me when I die? Hopefully, it's not going to be dangling from a train bridge. Hopefully, I'll be 97 years old and I'll pass peacefully in my sleep. But every single one of us, I think, has to ask ourselves, or we do ask ourselves the question, what's that going to be like? What's going to happen when I close my eyes for the last time in this world? You wonder, am I going to open them in some other place or am I just going to go to sleep and never wake up? Is it going to be like the heaven that I've heard about or is it going to be something altogether different? We have these questions. In fact, when some people ask this particular question to themselves, they experience a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, maybe even some dread because either you don't know what's going to happen or you've been told what's going to happen and that concerns you. Some of you, when you ask yourself that question, you don't experience anxiety and dread. You experience faith 
and confidence. And we're all jealous of you. We want to be able to have faith and confidence in what's going to happen. A belief that we're on our way to heaven to be reunited with God or whatever spirit rules the world, right? Like there are people all over the world that want to have the same confidence that you have. And then there are some of you that are here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, come on, this is bananas. Even if there is an afterlife, even if there is a heaven, there's no way we can know anything about it. So what's with all the existential angst, you guys? Just live your life and whatever happens will happen, okay? I get that. And you probably fall somewhere on that spectrum this morning. Now, the good news is the Bible actually gives us some very direct answers about what happens when we transition out of this life and into the next life. Jesus Christ tells a story in the Bible that parts the curtain. It basically gives us a sneak peek at what lies beyond. He opens our eyes and takes us from the here and now into the hereafter. And so I'm really excited to start this new series this morning that we're calling Afterlife. We're asking the question, what happens when you die? Now, believe it or not, we're actually going to spend four whole weeks on this one story that Jesus told, which I know sounds totally ridiculous. You're like, seriously, four weeks? on like 10 verses. The alternative, I'll tell you guys, was to make this service like three hours long and just get it all in at once. But I figured you probably didn't want that. So let's break it up over the month of August. Each week, we're gonna be tackling a different part or a different emphasis of this particular story that Jesus told. And we're gonna draw out some principles. We're gonna draw out some truths that hopefully will give you confidence, will give you faith, will give you hope as Joshua prayed, will give you encouragement to know and believe that there is an afterlife and there is a way to experience it in God, in Christ Jesus. So the passage we're going to read is uh, Luke chapter number 16. We're going to put it here on the screen for you this morning. Uh, The verses are there. You can follow along or you can find it in your own copy of the Bible. Before we read these, let me give you a couple of caveats, okay? I need to lay some groundwork for this series and even this morning in particular. Number one, I want you guys to understand that I have no desire or intention to scare anyone into believing. None whatsoever. We're going to be talking about the afterlife. We're going to be talking about what the Bible says in regards to heaven and hell and judgment and a whole host of other things. And there'll be some of you who are here and you're going to be tempted to say to yourself, well, there go the Christians again. They're trying to manipulate and scare everybody into behaving and believing the way that they want. Can I tell you very bluntly, I have no interest in that. I have no interest in scaring you into believing in God. I don't want you to choose a life following Jesus as some sort of fire insurance, you know, where you're like, well, if there's a hell, I definitely don't want to go there. So I'll just try to do the bare minimum with Jesus over here so that I never end up there. I have no desire to scare anybody into that. Okay. I want you to make a decision out of love. I want you to make a decision, a response after you learn what Jesus has done for you. In fact, if you were to make a decision based out of fear, if you were to say, okay, I don't want to end up in that place, so I'm going to choose God so that I never go there. I'm scared that that's where I would end up. If you were to make a decision based on that and that alone, that's not an, I mean, that doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship to God. You're not quote unquote saved if we want to use that term, but I'll tell you what it does mean. It means you have made a decision based on a motive that later you're going to have to go back and unlearn. If you choose God because you're scared of God, 
or if you choose God because some preacher frightened you out of hell and into heaven, then you are going to go through years and years on your spiritual journey where you have to unlearn who you thought God was in that moment and relearn who he is as your loving heavenly father. So I don't want you to take any shortcuts. I'm not okay with that. I want you to choose not based on fear, but based on an understanding of what God offers you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the second caveat. I'm not going to try to convince you to believe any of this. I really don't think that's my job. So I'm not going to lay out a bunch of arguments to prove that heaven or hell are there. I'm not going to give you a bunch of like, you know, rationalizations and stuff like that. Instead, what I'm going to do this month is I am going to lay out for you what the Bible says. And then you can make up your own mind. You are grown up people. You can decide for yourself. And I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep if you leave here believing differently than I do. I I just won't let that worry me too terribly much. If you're like, come on, this is crazy. There's no afterlife. That's wishful thinking. And any idea of hell is just ridiculous. How could anybody believe in that in the 21st century? If you leave here believing that still, That's your choice, and I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to lay my head down on my Tempur-Pedic pillow, and I'm going to sleep fine because, by the way, Tempur-Pedic pillows are where it's at, you guys. But anyway, it's practically like heaven. Anyway, so I'm going to lay my head down. That's not in the Bible. I'm going to lay my head down on my Tempur-Pedic pillow, and I'm going to be okay because I have a confidence that if there is a God, and I believe there is, that I'm right with him. I have that belief. I have that belief. And I'm going to show you today why I have that belief. My hope is that you'll come to believe the same as me, but I'm not going to sit here for the next 30 minutes and try to convince you. Either you're going to choose to believe these things by faith or you're not, and that's between you and God. And here's the last thing I'll say about it. If I'm right, if there is an afterlife, then one day we're both going to know it. You and I will stand next to each other. Maybe, I don't know how it works, but anyway, we'll be standing there next to each other and you're gonna be like, dang, you were right. Now, if you're correct and there is no afterlife and we just go to sleep and never wake up, neither one of us are ever gonna know. You're not gonna get the opportunity to look over and say, see, Dan, I told you so, because we're both gonna be unconscious, all right? So for me, I think the decision to follow Jesus is a good bet, so to speak, because I believe what Jesus says and I believe the promises that he makes in there. So those are the two caveats that I'm giving you for this series. I'm excited about it because we're gonna go really, really deep and we're also gonna answer Answer some basic fundamental questions. Now, Jesus gives us answers to the questions we have about the afterlife in this passage. And I'm hyping this up. We need to go ahead and read it. Jesus gives us answers, but it's also going to surface more questions. Understand that going in. You will probably have questions that do not get answered in this passage. I'll point out two things quickly. One is just because you don't see answers doesn't mean answers don't exist. They do. There are other parts of the Bible that spell this out a little more clearly, or they give a little more nuance and helping you to understand. And the second part of it is that when Jesus gives us his word, it is trustworthy. We can count on what he says. And so even if you don't have all the answers, you have enough information to act. I believe that fully. All right, let's get to the passage here. Luke chapter number 16. Jesus tells a parable. This is a story. Typically, this is a made-up story that Jesus kind of just fashions on the spot to teach a point. We talked about parables on Sundays before. This parable is a bit different, and I'm going to point out why. Luke chapter number uh, 16, we're going to start reading in verse 19. Jesus said, 
There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. So the passage starts off by telling us about this very, very wealthy man. Um, For us, the references are a bit lost because, you know, like having robes and purple, it doesn't really mean anything to us. But in Jesus' day, to be clothed in fine linen meant you were extremely wealthy. To be clothed in purple meant that you were royalty or you were attached to royalty somehow. Purple dye is even today the most expensive of all dyes to make naturally. And so only the richest, most well-connected people could afford it. And the scripture says this dude lived in the lap of luxury. This was not like a wealthy CEO managing his business every day. This was like made man. This was old money. This guy got up every day and put on a robe and slippers and took it easy. His servants fed him grapes. He got to have whatever he wanted to. This guy lived the cushiest life you could ever imagine. In verse number 20, it says, at his gate. Whose gate? The rich man's gate. At the gate of the rich man's house lay a poor man named Lazarus. Now, here's what's so interesting about this passage of the Bible, you guys. This is the only parable, the only made-up story that Jesus ever told in which one of the characters gets a name. The only one out of dozens and dozens of parables. Lazarus is the only one that's called by name. Now understand, if you know anything about the Bible, if you've read the book of John before, there's another story about a man named Lazarus who Jesus raises from the dead. This is not the same Lazarus. They just share the same name in the same way that I met somebody else here this morning that has the name Dan. They just happen to share the same one. Jesus is telling us a story in which he gives us the identity of one of the characters. And that's going to be important. The scripture says, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Okay, let's just be frank. That's gross. The guy had some sort of disease. He didn't have access to medical treatment. He didn't live in Canada and get universal health care. The guy was in bad shape. And because of his condition, nobody wanted anything to do with him. As Lazarus, verse 21, lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Basically, Jesus is telling us how badly this guy had it. Dogs were considered unclean animals in their world. They didn't feed them. They didn't keep them as pets. They were essentially wild. And so for this man to have dogs to come and to lick his sores, it meant he was so powerless. He was so weak. He was so diseased and sick. He couldn't even push the dogs away. He couldn't even keep them off of him. Finally, verse 22, the scripture says the poor man died and he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. Now, if you're not Jewish, which I'm assuming most of you guys are not, that might be a strange reference. Understand that Abraham is one of the prominent figures from the book of Genesis. He's considered the father of the Jewish people and the Jewish religion. And in Jesus' day, he served as essentially a, I don't want to say a stand-in or a substitute for God, that's not what I mean, but essentially he was like a representative of God to his people. And so they believed when they died and they went to heaven, they didn't go like, you know, sit in in God's lap or something. They went to be with Father Abraham, their ancestor, the guy who had followed so closely to God. And so the scripture says he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. That's a way of saying he went to heaven. The rich man also died. Isn't that interesting? Did you know one in one people die? That's true. 
There've been like 20 billion people that have lived on the planet. There are 7 billion of us that live right now. We haven't died yet, but it's coming. Everybody dies. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, though you ladies get to live longer than us, which doesn't seem fair. Um, it, it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, this nationality or that national. It doesn't matter. Everybody is unfortunately facing the same end. So the scripture says the rich man also died and he was buried and his soul went to the place of the dead. That's a euphemism. It's a nice way of saying he went to hell. Scripture says there in torment. Now look, week three is going to be all about hell this month. We're going to spend the whole morning talking about it. And I think when it comes to both heaven, which is next week, and hell, the week after, you're going to be surprised to learn that most of what you think you know about heaven and hell is completely wrong from a scriptural standpoint. I am so pumped, you guys, to talk to you about heaven and hell over the next two weeks. But the scripture does say here that this man was in torment, and we're going to dive into what that means uh, in two weeks. In torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar, the dude with sores, the guy that he ignored for decades outside of his own gate. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, Time, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, verse 26 is going to be really important this month. And besides, there is a great chasm. There is a gulf separating us. No one can cross over to you to hell from here. That is from heaven. And no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and his prophets have warned them. Basically, they have the Old Testament scriptures. They have enough information. Moses and the prophets uh, have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Man, that's a deep line right there because Jesus is actually referring to himself when he conquers death and rests resurrects and rises from the dead. And that's still not enough to convince us. So Jesus tells this parable, this story in which he parts the veil. He gives us a glimpse as to what he says the afterlife entails. And so this morning, I'm going to point out about three things that I hope will give you some information, maybe some inspiration, some encouragement, and some faith when you think about your own mortality and the fact that one day you will die and you are not sure what's going to happen. So the first thing I want to point out here is that Jesus took the afterlife seriously. And so should we. Jesus Christ, the most important historical, even if you don't believe he's the son of God, even if you're not a religious person, you think the supernatural is silly, all of that stuff, you have to agree that Jesus Christ was the most important person that ever lived in the history of the world. He did more to transform the world as you know it than anybody else. And he took the afterlife seriously. When you read the things that Jesus said about heaven and hell, it's not like, well, you know, some people tell us that this might happen when we die and other people say it's that. And I kind of think 
think this is what's going to go on. He doesn't do that. He talks about heaven and hell as if he knows, as if he's been there, as if they are facts and anybody who might disagree doesn't have the same knowledge or understanding or perspective that he does. It might surprise you to know that Jesus himself spoke more about heaven and hell than anybody else in the Bible. It also might surprise you to know that Jesus spoke twice as much about hell in the New Testament than he did about heaven. So Jesus presents heaven and hell in afterlife. He presents them as very real realities, not something to simply be dismissed, not something to worry or wonder about, but something that is and something that can be known and be prepared for. Jesus gives us answers. See, we live our lives thinking, oh, you know what? We just don't have answers. There's no way to know what happens when we die. And so I'm just, I'm going to be agnostic about the whole thing. We'll find out what happens the day after. But the problem is not that we don't have answers. The problem is we don't like the answers we've been given. You read Jesus and you hear him talking about heaven and hell and you're like, whoa, I thought Jesus was the nice guy. And I thought God was all love. How could there be room for judgment in any of that? It's not that you don't have answers. It's that you don't like the answers you read in the scriptures. Jesus has been very direct. He's been very forthright about what happens. Now you can say, well, I don't believe Jesus. Okay, cool. One of you is going to be right and you will find out one day. But I think Jesus deserves to be listened to because anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection, then pull it off. I'm going to trust what he has to say. I'm not going to trust your uncle Phil. Who's like, yeah, I went to this conference one time and they were telling me that when we die, we all merge into this God consciousness sort of thing in the universe. I'm not going to listen to uncle Phil. What does uncle Phil know? He's just as confused as I am. I'm going to listen to the guy who transformed the world. I'm going to listen to the guy who opened blind eyes. I'm going to listen to the guy who raised people from the dead. I'm going to listen to the guy who conquered death himself. I believe that alone earns him a hearing. That If you're skeptical, I understand that. I was not raised in church, you guys. I didn't start going. I didn't start believing any of this stuff until I was much older in life. And yet the things that convinced me were Jesus things, Jesus words, Jesus actions. He was the difference between my unbelief and my faith. He was the difference between me being lost and unsure about my eternity and me knowing what will happen to me when I die based on confidence in his words. Jesus took death seriously. And I think that you and I need to take it very seriously too. Don't Don't go through your day, and when you think about the fact that one day you will die, you're like, I'm just going to put that out of my mind. I'm not going to think about that right now. That's just like, why waste time? Why even? This is one of the most important questions you could ever ask. It is something that you need to address. You need to prepare for. Have you ever met somebody who is like getting up there in age and they're getting close to retirement and you talk to them and you're like, hey, what are your plans after you retire? Have you been saving up money? Do you know what you're going to do? And they're like, nah, I don't know. It'll work out. I'll figure it out. I haven't really saved anything. I don't really know how I'm going to pay for my lifestyle or anything, but I'm sure, I don't know. It'll figure out social insurance. I don't know. Something will help. 
You would say, how foolish a strategy is that? Seriously, who waits until the end and then says, well, let's see what happens. If your kid came to you and said, I'm going to go through high school and I'm just going to, we'll see what happens. I don't know. On graduation day, we'll see if I get the degree or if I don't. Hmm? You would say that's the silliest thing in the world. You can't follow that kind of strategy and expect any sort of success, and it's not any different when it comes to spiritual matters. You cannot say, well, I'll live my life. One day I'll stand before God, and we'll see what happens. As we're going to see, that's not how things work according to the Scriptures. Now, let me also point out something. I'm not so sure why we are convinced that if we spend an entire life saying, I want nothing to do with God, that the day after we die, that's somehow going to change. That one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, oh God, you know what? I thought you were total BS in life, but it turns out I'm standing in front of you. There you are. Please let me into heaven. (laughs) That seems very unfair. That doesn't seem logical. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. It seems like if we wanted nothing to do with God in this life, there's no reason to suppose that that will change when we stand in front of him because you believe the only thing you're missing is information. You think, oh, well, if I saw God, then I would definitely believe in him. No, you wouldn't. If there was somebody who raised from the dead to prove that they were God incarnate, you wouldn't believe him. You don't believe him. And so why would you assume that just because you stand in front of God someday, all of a sudden you're going to be like, Papa, Daddy, Father, oh, I'm so glad to see you. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus makes it very, very clear. And we're going to to talk more about this throughout the month. Now, let me point out another thing. And this is fascinating to me. You may have never considered this before. According to this story that Jesus told, you are still you in the afterlife. Isn't that interesting? When you read through this passage, do you know what you see? Both men who died, whichever direction they ended up going after death, they retained their individual identities. He was still Lazarus in the afterlife. He was still the rich man in the afterlife. Did you notice that they retained all of their memories in the afterlife? Lazarus remembered who he was and who Father Abraham was. The rich man remembered that he had five brothers. Abraham says to the rich man, Hey, remember that in life you received your good things and Lazarus received his bad. If they had no memories of what life was like, that would be a silly statement. But they retain their identities, they retain their names, they retain their memories, they retain their personalities, they retain their relationships. They are still the same people in the afterlife. So this is important for a whole bunch of different reasons. Number one, it tells us what the afterlife is not in a lot of ways. So the afterlife is not like some sort of merging with a cosmic consciousness where we lose all of our identity and we become one with the all spark or the Brahmin or whatever it is that you want to call it. 
According to the scripture, now again, you can say, I don't believe Jesus. That's cool. You've got that right. But according to Jesus, you still have your individual identity. You are still you. You don't become a part of the universe. There is something different, something special, something unique, something in you that bears the image of the God that created you and you never lose it. It also means that there's no reincarnation, according to Jesus, because the rich man says, hey, can you send Lazarus back to earth? Essentially, can he be reincarnated? Can he be resurrected? Can he be raised from the dead? Zombie Lazarus, go warn my brothers. Whatever form it takes, and the Bible is so specific, no, that's not possible. People don't transition from the land of the dead to the land of the living, with one big exception, of course. The scriptures are pretty clear here. That with all due respect to our Catholic friends, love my Catholic friends, but there's a heaven, there's a hell, and according to Jesus' teaching here, there's not any way to transition between the two. So there's no purgatory, there's no burning off of your sins, there's no payment for the stuff that you did so that eventually you can get to heaven. Like, according to Jesus, that's not how it works. So the fact that you retain your identity is really important in helping you to understand what the uh, afterlife is in comparison to what other religions and belief systems say. A A secular humanist, somebody who's an atheist who believes, you know, there's only the physical world and nothing more, they would say you go to sleep and you never wake up, yet the people in in the story Jesus tells are conscious. They're awake. They have experience even in the afterlife. Now, this idea that you retain your identity is really important for the last reason, the last thing I want to point out to you this morning. According to Jesus, and man, oh man, oh man, do I hope you will understand this. According to Jesus, What happens in the hereafter is determined by what happens in the here and now. What happens in the hereafter, according to Jesus, is determined by what happens in the here and now. So for those of you guys that say, you know what, I'm just going to ride this thing out. We'll see what happens. I'm going to get to God and I'm going to be like, oh, wow, it turns out you were real. Well, you know, I was a good person. Tried to keep an open mind about all this stuff. How about we spend eternity together? And according to Jesus and guys, the consistent teaching of the entire New Testament, nobody gets that second chance. I wish I could tell you, genuinely I do. I wish I could tell you that one day you're going to die, you're going to stand before God, and God's going to say, okay, I gave you one shot, you kind of screwed the pooch on that one, let me give you another shot before you go into eternity here, which way you want to go? God doesn't give anybody that shot. The scripture says it's appointed unto mankind to die once and then face judgment. That's what the Bible says. And you will never get the opportunity, according to Jesus, according to the Bible, to stand in front of God and say, okay, I got it wrong, but let's try again. There are no second chances. Eternity is determined on earth. This is why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you should commit to God. Today is the day that you should begin a relationship with him because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you pass from this life into the afterlife, 
between now and tomorrow, the decisions that you made today determine what happens tomorrow. It is key and critical that you understand, at least from a biblical perspective, that death is a doorway that cannot be undone, that you won't get a second chance. And so the question becomes, and and again, I'll, I'll go back and I'll say, you won't want a second chance. Man, come back next week and the week after, especially when we talk about heaven and hell directly. People who say, oh, my heart is going to flip. I'm going to change when I see God face to face. That's just not how it's going to work. So even if you could have a second chance, you wouldn't take it. And I'll explain why soon. You won't get the second chance. So you're delaying, you're hoping everything works out, and you don't have to hope. You can know. Let me read you a passage of scripture. First John chapter number five, verses 11 through 13. This passage was on during our worship set. I love it. Great verses. The scripture says, this is what God has testified, or this is what God has done. He has given us eternal life, and that life is in his son. Whoever has the son, and the son, of course, is Jesus. Whoever has Jesus has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, none of us have gone to the other side and come back with uh, a story to report. None of us have experienced it. I can't prove to you that any of this happens. I can't. You can't prove that it doesn't. We're both living by faith. Your faith is that you're going to go to sleep and never wake up. Or if you do wake up, God's going to, you know, be real nice to you and kind of let everything slide. My faith and confidence is in something totally different. You see, one day, if, and I believe I will, if I stand before God and God says, Dan, 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 why in the world should you come to heaven? Like, wh- I don't, wh- why do you deserve this at all? I'm not going to point to all of my good deeds. Be like, God, look at this time I was nice to this lady at the grocery store. I'm not going to say, man, God, for 13, hopefully 90 years in the future, I was faithful to my wife. I never made a mistake in that area. God, I gave to the church. I did all of these wonderful things. I'm not going to point to any of that. You know why? Because I'm not totally sure that if I start trotting out all the good things I did in life, if God were to start trotting out all the bad things in life, I'm not totally sure which side is going to win out. So I don't want to put my faith, I don't want to put my confidence, I don't want to put my trust in something I hope for, something I wish for, something I'm thinking, well, maybe I can prove that I'm good enough. I don't want to do that. I'm also not going to point to my religion and say, God, I should get into heaven because I was a pastor. I mean, if the pastor doesn't get in, surely none of those people are going to get in. I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because my religion is not good enough to save me. There are plenty of religious people whose hearts are still far from God. You know them and can't stand them. So I don't want to be religious. When I stand before God and I'm judged, I have to give an account. He says, why in the world would you deserve to come in here? I'm not going to point to me. I'm going to point to Jesus. I'm going to point to the Son. 
And I'm going to say, listen, I took you at your word that whoever has the son has the father and whoever has the father has life. I took you at your word that if I would follow you with my heart, not just with my actions and obedience, but if I would love you, have a relationship with you in this life, that I would be able to continue it in the future. Understand that the afterlife is an eternal continuation of the relationship that you had with God before you died. I'll say it again because I want you to go home and think about it. The afterlife, whether it's heaven or hell, whether it's with God or without God, the afterlife is an eternal continuation of the relationship you had with God before you die. And so I want to challenge you to make the same faith commitment that I did. To say, God, I can't prove any of it. But somewhere, somehow, deep down inside of me, I believe it. And so I'm going to act on it. You can't say in your heart, well, I kind of believe it. And maybe when I get to God, I'll say, yeah, you know, when that dude was preaching that one time I went to church, it was like, I nodded my head. I thought, yeah, that sounds cool. And here I am. It does not work that way. You have to make a decision for Jesus. And then you will get to continue that relationship one way or another, moving into the future.